Hello everyone. Welcome to the Retirement Puzzle, brought to you by the Monash Centre for Financial Studies. This podcast looks at the current and critical trends in the pension sector and explains how they impact us all. My name is Nga Pham, a research fellow at MCFS. I host Retirement Puzzle along with my colleagues Umu Ruba and Bai Sui. In this episode, I want to look at the challenge of ensuring citizens save for their retirement and how different pension systems achieve it. The Australian system is considered sound and broadly sustainable, according to the latest Australian Retirement Income Review. But there are areas for improvement, especially when it comes to accessing retirement savings for housing and having retirement benefits as a lifelong income stream. One country we can learn from is our neighbour, Singapore. My guest today is Professor Joseph Cherian from the National University of Singapore. Joe is a global expert on investment management. He is a former member of the Executive Committee at Credit Suisse Asset Management in New York, where he managed more than $60 billion of assets. Joe held various advisory appointments at the Central Provident Fund, the highly regarded vehicle for retirement in Singapore. For the past four years, Joe has also been serving as a member of the advisory board of the Mercer CFI Institute Global Pension Index that we manage here at Monash. So hi Joe, great to have you here with us. Uh, hi Nga. The Central Provident Fund is a compulsory comprehensive savings and pension plan for working Singaporeans and permanent residents to fund their retirement, healthcare and housing needs. It is a savings scheme with mandatory employers and employees contributions. So Joe, as you have uh, had appointments related to the Singaporean Central Provident Fund, you know, the CPF, can you please tell us about the CPF? What are the key features of um, the retirement income system in Singapore and what role does um, the Singaporean CPF play in that system? Uh, thank you again, Nga. I indeed can. Uh, the CPF system, as you mentioned, is a mandatory national social security savings system that recognizes self-reliance but with ample government help thrown in. What makes it useful is its four practical features or what I call four pillars. First is the flexibility. Uh, it provides a government subsidized and fully tax exempt, I repeat, tax exempt savings scheme where the interest rates can go up to as high as 6% per annum for part of your savings. Uh, it also utilizes part of your retirement savings for housing, i.e. you have the option to withdraw uh, amount from the savings for housing purposes. And you also have the option to invest in CPF screened investment schemes if you are seeking higher risk adjusted returns over and above the savings rate offered by the government. Secondly, there's the CPF life scheme. That's a government life annuity scheme that automatically converts members' cumulated retirement savings sum to retirement income for life. Of course, since it's subsidized, it's up to a cap. Uh, the government will not offer this life program for the full amount, but up to a cap. Uh, thirdly, there's this housing monetization program where basically uh, you can generate additional retirement income over and above CPF life by 
monetizing the equity in the home that you purchased uh, within Singapore. The scheme is called the CPF Lease Buyback Scheme, which is like a reverse mortgage scheme found in many other countries. And finally, the fourth pillar, it incorporates a healthcare savings and insurance scheme. So those are the four pillars of our CPF retirement scheme. I really like the model because it's, it considers home, health, at the same time, wealth into retirement Correct. for for people. So how do you evaluate the current system in Singapore? Well, overall, I think, first of all, it's a national system. It's mandatory. Uh, so it's a one-pot thing. I mean, there are other supplementary programs and so on, but the CPF is the national mandatory system that everyone contributes to. So firstly, it passes the integrity component with flying colors. Uh, adequacy, it also is uh, quite good. Um, and I'm using what uh, the Mercer CFA Institute uh, pension uh, categories um, are in that context. Uh, but there may be a bit of room for improvement on the sustainability side, uh, partly due to the lack of a basic public pension scheme that provides for a basic or minimal income for all. And secondly, the lack of breadth. Uh, the CPF only covers Singapore citizens and PRs, uh, so non-citizens cannot contribute to the CPF, albeit they do have another program called the Supplementary Retirement Scheme. It's not tax-exempt, it's tax-advantaged, um, uh, but it's not fully tax-exempt at the point of withdrawal. So yes, Joe, as you mentioned before, at the retirement age, Singaporeans can transfer a part of their savings into a lifetime income stream through CPF Live. Now, this is an important aspect of your system that Australia can learn from. Having at least a component of our retirement savings lasting for life, not just until life expectancy, really protects us from outliving our savings. I think in Australia, few people purchase longevity products in retirement that pay income for their entire lifetime. Most Australians choose a lump sum payment of benefits and or, or an account-based pension. Now, account-based pension is a regular income stream. However, we understand that it only lasts as long as the savings does. So it is not a guaranteed income for life. And the government, the Australian government, has required super funds to offer a comprehensive income product for retirement, I would call that super for short, um, by July 2022, which is next year. So until now, not many super funds have managed to offer a super. Some will choose to design super products in-house and some will outsource. Could you please share with us some key features of CPF life in Singapore and what you think could be applied um, to Australia? Uh, yes, Nga. Uh, I am a big fan of the CPF life. Um, um, but again, to create such a life annuity product, it's an insurance product, uh, except it's managed by the government, um, you need some amount of risk pooling, right? So you need a critical mass of people of different demographies, different cohorts, um, different health conditions pulling into this program to make it successful. Because ours is a national mandated program, everyone participates, at least Singapore citizens and PRs, right? So you have the cross-section or the, the sort of size uh, for risk pooling purposes. So that's one of the reasons why it's uh, um, doable here. Uh, in other countries like the US, 
they have private life annuity and term annuity products. But you fall into this problem of a lot of these annuity products are costly, although those costs are coming down from what I understand. Uh, and secondly, there's um, counterparty risk, right? What if the insurance provider goes into bankruptcy or something, then you have a problem. So the CPF life is different because it's government administered. Its key features are flexibility. You have a range of plans you can choose. Either you can draw all the income for yourself in retirement for life, or you can choose a beneficiary to get some part of it, a residual amount of it. Uh, You can also choose an inflation proxy. Uh, It's called the escalating product. They don't offer direct inflation hedging, but they do offer long-term inflation hedging protection. Uh, So they call it the escalating product. And you can also choose the payout age, uh, the start age of your payout. That allows, as we know, America also has this feature. If you delay the starting date, you'll get more income in retirement for life. So that's the first feature, the flexibility part. Second is it's very affordable. As I told you, it's income for life. I mentioned earlier, it's income for life. Uh, secondly, there's no minimum premium. You can put whatever amount you've saved uh, uh, into the life product, ex- up to a cap. And finally, uh, if you don't choose a beneficiary, the actually fair annuity residual value is returned to the estate. <clears throat> Not the full savings amount, but the actually fair value, which is the way most insurance annuity product works. So that's affordability part. And finally, it's a cost-efficient and sustainable program. Since it's government-run life energy scheme, um, uh, the, the government tries to keep the cost as low as possible and the income is guaranteed until death. Yeah, so I think it's quite interesting to learn about, um, you know, how this CPF life is uh, structured in, in Singapore, when you emphasize on, you know, the scale is offered by the government and it has uh, a, a large pool of people to actually, for the government to pull the risk. Uh, so I think because of the scale, um, the risk is uh, managed and also the cost could be lower than the private sector. So we can see that it seems that the uh, the longevity risk is transferred from the individuals to the government. And so in this low return environment, do you think that it would be a question of sustainability for the government to run such programs or such schemes? Uh, that's a very good question and, and point you raise. Um, First of all, you need the scale and the diversity in the participants. And so one way in which you achieve that is to pool uh, programs together. I know you all have a private sector run system, but if there's a way in which they can pool and get the sort of um, uh, risk sharing elements uh, to the to the fore, I think it'll help uh, keep costs and uh, risk down for the super funds. On the government's involvement, the government doesn't have to be involved in every step of the way. One thing that the private sector cannot hedge very well is longevity risk. So the government could provide some kind of cost-effective um, longevity risk insurance to the private sector providers. That means directly to the super funds to say, look, if this goes beyond a certain, <clears throat> I don't know, maybe mortality table rate, we will uh, provide the guarantee uh, in providing income. Something along those lines. Yes, is what I would recommend. Yeah. 
Yeah, so do you have any other advice for our super funds um, in terms of trying to pull the customer or member base together or and also trying to seek some government support or insurance for longevity risk? I think it's a little bit expensive to expect um, private pensions to provide income streams for life when the longevity risk component cannot be hedged. So I do think there's some kind of combination um, strategy that's required. Private sector administered income stream, but with some guarantees provided by the government. So that if, say, people live beyond a threshold, let's say what mortality tables say they will with maybe a few years beyond that, uh, the government would provide the guarantee and kick in the income stream beyond that. That way it makes it a bit more palatable for the private sector to take it on. I'm hoping the CIPR, the Comprehensive Income Product for Retirement Program that's going to be launched by July 2022 in Australia, I'm hoping that the program will include some type of conversion from cumulative sum, cumulated sum at retirement to income stream in retirement. Um, I, I, that's the right way to think about it because it's what I call a combination or, or a hybrid defined contribution defined benefit program. You contribute and in a self-directed manner in a personal account uh, all the way through your working life up to retirement, and then it converts to a defined benefit like pension or income stream for life um, in retirement. I think that's the right solution. Uh, it's not one or the other, but a combination of the two. And maybe the government has some role to play without removing the role of the private sector. Yeah, I, I do hope to see those uh, features uh, coming out uh, in our SIPA uh, products offered um, by the super funds um, next year. So while some benefit must be preserved for retirement, um, Singaporean residents can access part of their retirement savings for specified housing, medical, educational expenses. And the situation in Australia is a bit more restrictive. Australians can access uh, only a very small amount of super savings um, for home purpose to pay for a deposit for their first home's mortgage. For example, via um, the first home super saver scheme. And that has to be from their voluntary contribution, uh, not from the compulsory contributions. So how is home ownership integrated into the current pension system in Singapore? Okay, now I will start by qualifying that in every program, there's always the pros and the cons. So it's not all sure. good. Yes. Uh, let me talk about the good first, okay? Yes. Uh, there's something called the CPF housing scheme. It allows you to draw down one of your retirement accounts. There are three or four different accounts, including the Medicsave and uh, uh, healthcare account. Uh, you can draw down from one of those retirement accounts to buy either a leasehold public housing flat. Singapore has got some fantastic public housing flats. They're called HDB flats. Or you can use the money to buy or build a private residential property in Singapore, assuming you have access to the land to build uh, such a property. In addition, you can use it to pay ancillary fees associated with that uh, uh, purchase of the house. Oh, so from what you have shared, um, my understanding is that Singaporeans can access a part of their retirement savings for home deposits, home mortgages, stamp duties, and even for house construction. Is that right? 
That is correct. To buy, bill, pay down payments or deposits, pay off mortgages, stamp duties, legal fees. The list is fairly long. So do you think that this is a kind of unique features of the Singaporean system or have you seen similar policies anywhere else? The CPF housing scheme is unique in the way it's run because a majority or preponderance of Singaporeans buy public housing. So that's where the money goes and uh, it's a very affordable yet well-constructed set of housing. So that's unique. Uh, in the US, they do it slightly differently. Uh, there are tax advantage programs that encourage home ownership. I lived there for many years. I also took advantage of that. It's outside of the retirement system. For example, your bank mortgage interest deductions up to a cap can be deducted against your income taxes. Um, in addition, when you sell your home, you, you uh, have a reduced capital gains tax and up to 0%, it used to be 0%, up to half a million, if I'm not mistaken. Basically, uh, it's 0% if you're in a lower income bracket, have lived in the home as your primary residence and held it for a long period of time. Then you get the 0% capital gains tax. Yeah, so what you're saying is, uh, you know, maybe this is a similar focus on promoting home ownership, both in Singapore and in the US, right? That's correct. Yeah. That's absolutely right. It seems that Singapore has a much higher household savings and home ownership rate than Australia. Um, for example, Australian household savings rate is only 3.4%, um, whereas in Singapore, it is about 15.3%. Um, and in terms of home ownership, about 65% of households in Australia own their home. Um, but in Singapore, home ownership is more than 90%. And this is based on uh, 2020's figures. So in Australia, we have also seen a declining rate of home ownerships among younger and lower to middle income Australians over the last 40 years. So if this situation persists, more people will have to rent into their retirement. And we also see uh, coming out from the retirement income review last year, uh, we know that renters are disadvantaged by the system as they have higher housing costs and they do not have ho uh, the home as an asset that can be drawn on in retirement. Do you think that the way the system allows people to access their retirement savings for housing purpose has contributed to that high level of savings and high level of home ownership in Singapore? Your conjecture is correct. First, the savings rate being high, and the second, about housing. Let me explain a little bit. The savings rate for CPF can add up to about 37% of one's annual salary. This is 37% uh, includes both your contribution and the matching contributions by your employer. So, you know, it's a pretty high savings rate. Uh, it changes over time, it declines over time, but that's uh, as high as it gets, 37%. That's the first thing. Secondly, the constant programs should top up. The government, when they have a surplus, or if there's a time of global financial crisis and markets are down a bit, the government has top-up programs for those who have low balances. So there's also these kinds of things that the government does to make sure that you have a robust uh, account. Uh, on the housing part, uh, let me say that the government, which most of you know has been in power since independence, it's the same government, uh, so the continuity and stability helps uh, propagate uh, some of these thinking. Uh, it has been a big thing about owning your home 
from the time of independence, even when I was a kid, I just remember this whole concept of owning your own home has been pushed through campaigns and ads and so on. So, you know, and then when you allow that high savings uh, set aside in your retirement account, if you allow that to pay for the uh, deposit down payment uh, for sales taxes or uh, legal fees and so on, stamp duties, it makes it a bit easier uh, to cross the hurdle of homeownership. So I would say that um, a combination of these factors, the high savings rate and government incentives in the CPF housing scheme, uh, including the fact that the public housing scheme, which are affordable, are very well constructed. I think it helps explain your conjecture. Yes, so I think the approach um, here is quite comprehensive in the way that uh, on the one hand, the government tried to promote the demand side by, you know, promoting the importance of home ownership. But at the same time, the government also uh, support on the supply side by providing very well constructed, you know, HDB flats, as you mentioned. So would you be concerned at all about the potential adverse impacts when people are allowed to access their retirement savings for housing purpose? Is there anything you do not like in the Singaporean system in that regard? Well, sometimes I am concerned, and I've even written about this before. I've voiced it when I was on the panel and so on. My concern is, you know, if you are allowed to use your retirement account to buy a real asset uh, to as part of your store of wealth towards retirement, you should be as willing to monetize or dig into the equity of the home to provide for some of your retirement, right? I mean, it's it's a closed-loop system. If you take something out now, there's less available at retirement, right? So if you are as willing to monetize the value of your home or the equity in your home through a reverse mortgage or lease buyback scheme, I would say I have no worries. It's a great system. It's closed-loop. It's self-sustaining. Everyone's happy. The problem is, I've observed this not just in Singapore, but in America, wherever I've lived. There's always a natural temptation to buy a house that is slightly bigger than what you can afford uh, when you have access to your retirement savings. Remember, you're putting 37% of your savings aside. It looks like a large amount of money with compounding at 4%, 5%, 6% interest. After a while, it begins to look like a large pot of money. But we all know the illusion of money. So the point is you say, oh, there's a lot of money there. Let me take some out. How about a bit more out? And then you get tempted to take as much as you can out to buy that home. And that has an impact on accumulation of your income uh, for retirement. That's one problem. I think I've observed in America, uh, most Americans are very willing to uh, sell their home downsize. Uh, They're willing to enter into reverse mortgages. But when I came back to Asia after many years, I realized Asians are a little less willing to do that. (laughs) So it becomes a little bit asymmetric. I take money out of my retirement account, and then at retirement, I'm not going to um, monetize the home, it can create an underfunding problem. That's what I'm concerned about. The second problem is a little bit more, um, uh, how shall I put it? Uh, It's not sinister, but, you know, some people, there'll always be some segment of society who says, I do not want to put aside money for retirement. Don't force me to do something. They'll say, I don't want you to take my money for retirement. And it's a very small segment. Uh, In most countries I've operated in, people enjoy the retirement scheme, especially for the tax uh, advantage uh, programs. Now, that said, for those who don't believe in such a system, what do you think is the incentive? What is their temptation? 
the temptations to withdraw as much pos- as possible they can. And that's my other worry. So that's two ways in which you can end up depleting your account and thus reducing the amount you have um, uh, for income in retirement. However good a CPF life system you have, if you don't have enough accumulated, you won't have enough income in retirement. So what would be your advice to the Australian government if they want to open up superannuation savings for housing purposes? Yeah, I think, you know, I like to draw behavioral theory. You know, don't provide temptations. I think we should reduce the temptation. One way you can do that, as the behavioral literature says, is to segregate this. You put them in different buckets. Retirement is for retirement, including healthcare and all that stuff. Housing is a separate bucket. Education is a third bucket. In America, they separate all those buckets out. It's all different programs and acts legislated by Congress with different numbers, different schemes, and they're all tax advantaged to different degrees, right? So my advice is, unless you are as well calibrated, coordinated, and governed like Singapore, which is a much smaller country, it's very hard to replicate the model in a larger country uh, with multiple private sector and uh, funds. It's not necessarily digging into your retirement system, but just setting up a different pot, which is also tax advantaged, but clearly stated um, uh, for housing, but it's completely segregated from the retirement investment and savings decision. That's my advice. Yeah, I, I totally like that idea because I think the behavioral literature um, about, for example, mental accounting, when you put things into different buckets and then you know that this is how much you have for housing, this is how much you have for education, and then you tend to just access or use within the means, right? Exactly, exactly, yes. And uh, So, Professor Joseph Sherin, uh, it has been a very interesting talk today. Thank you very much for sharing with us um, your expertise. You're welcome, Nga. I enjoyed myself thoroughly. Thank you very much. Lifelong income healthcare financing and home financing means a secure retirement for everyone. As longevity has increased substantially, Compared to what the previous generations had, governments and super funds in Australia need to take on a more proactive role in assisting retirees with managing their longevity risk. Singapore has given us a very good model of the government providing a lifelong income stream to protect people from outliving their savings. On another front, while the home is the most important component of voluntary savings, it seems that the current retirement savings system is not open enough to help promote home ownership in Australia. Rising property prices put further pressure on housing affordability. Singapore is an interesting example when we think about whether people should be allowed to access their retirement savings to buy a home. That policy could help Australians with housing affordability, but it should be well designed to serve that purpose. So there are definitely things that Australia can learn from our neighbour Singapore when it comes to their comprehensive social security savings system. Thank you for listening to Retirement Hustle. If you have enjoyed it, please tell your colleagues and friends about us. You can subscribe to our show and don't forget to leave us a review. If you want to collaborate with us on retirement-related issues, please get in touch with us at mcfsinfo at monash.edu.